Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is dedicated in honor of Rabbi Fahi for all that he does for our community and for the Refuash of Nisim Haim Ben Mazal Fortuna, sponsored by Mara Ati, Hazak Baruch Na'adoresh Na'am Mekayem. Mara, she is someone herself who is always working for and fighting for the community. She has helped us set up our uh, Bat Mitzvah program. We had a bunch of girls here yesterday. Uh, and uh, or two days ago, and uh, and as well a couple times before, Bezrat Hashem will uh, do more and set up the Bar Mitzvah program uh, with her assistance and with her energy. She does amazing things for the Keilah. Thank you so much, Mara. Okay, my friends, we read something about um, Avraham Avinu which seems a little startling. It seems a little puzzling. When Sarai Menu passes away, the Pasuk says, Vayavo Avraham. And Abraham came to eulogize Sarah and to cry for her. And if you look at the word you will see specifically that the letter Chaf is written smaller in the Torah. So it says the word and to cry for her, but there's a smaller Chaf. And our rabbis point out that that is to illustrate the fact that the crying that Abraham did for his wife was not so much. That doesn't seem so nice. You know, Abraham cried, but he wasn't that bad, that upset, you know. What does that mean, Philip Kota? And why was Abraham not crying for his life partner, for his, uh, for his Sarai Menu? How could such a thing be? What was the reason for that? And there are many different interpretations that are brought as to what it was that made Abraham Avinu, so to speak, cry less. It's also interesting to note that he doesn't eulogize her less. He eulogizes her fully, but he just cries less. And my friends, I think that there's something very special here. Because if you look in the, in the tradition, the, the letter that is minimized in order to illustrate uh, that Sarai Menu was not cried over so much is a small chaf. If you want to show me that there was less crying, you could have chosen any letter in that word uh, to minimize, to make it smaller, and taught me the same lesson. So it must be, there's a reason why specifically the chaf is written smaller. So there's many different uh, understandings. I'll give you one small level of understanding that to me uh, uh, is uh, interesting, but then I'll give you the lesson that I came to speak a little bit about today. We say in the beginning of the parasha, in the days of Sarah, the, li- the years of her life were a hundred years, and 20 years and 7 years. And Rashi points out that it would have been easier to say 127 years. Why do you say 100 years and 20 years and 7 years? And he explains that when she was 100 years old, she was the same, okay, uh, as if, uh, with regards to sin, as clean from sin as she was when she was a 20-year-old. What's the significance of being 20 years old? At the age of 20 years old, a person becomes obligated in Medine Shamaim for punishments for their actions if they deserve to be punished. So what does that mean? It illustrates uh, that there was never a time, or there was never anything in her life that she deserved, so to speak, to be punished for. And then why does it say chaf 20 years and 7 years? Because she was as innocent and as pure and as beautiful at the age of 20 as she was when she was at the age of 7. Her beauty and her innocence 
uh, was so refined, was so pure, that at the age of 20, like a seven-year-old. And the rabbis explain, what does it mean? The beauty of a 20-year-old is better than the beauty of a seven-year-old. And they explain that it relates to the nature of Sarai Menu's beauty. Her beauty was not forced. It wasn't uh, provocative. It wasn't evocative. It wasn't something she was trying uh, to lure people in with. It was just natural. A seven-year-old doesn't realize how beautiful or how cute they are. They just are. They just exist. And that's actually what makes the beauty that they have so beautiful and in many ways so compelling um, because it's not try, they're not trying uh, to make it happen, so to speak. So therefore, um, the Torah says that her beauty at the age of 20 was like that of a seven-year-old. My friends, it turns out, therefore, that the 20 years of Sarai Menu's life, the purity of her life, what was it? What was the purity of Sarai Menu's life? How is it defined in terms of her sin? That when she was 100, it was like she was 20. Therefore, the Pasuk says that when it came time, Avraham did not cry so much for Sarai Menu. Because what is there to cry about when someone passes away? On our side, what are we crying for? We're crying for the fact that we miss the person that's, uh, like they say, that is dearly departed. That went away. We cry for ourselves. But for the other person, is there what to cry about? It depends. Where are they going to? What's going to happen to them after uh, they, they shift from this world to the next? What is their story going to look like in the next world? So for Avraham Avinu, looking at Sarah, there was nothing to cry about, or at least very little, because remembering what we learned about Chaf, about 20, her 20, what she, was, what she had obligations for, what she had debts for, so to speak, in Shamayim, was so minimal, and that minimized his crying. But my friends, there's something else here as well, because that little Chaf, when it's small, it causes or takes up less attention. And if you read the word, that is evident as you stand back from the Sefer Torah. If you don't notice the letter that was minimized, how does it read without the chaf? It reads, Lispod beta, and to her house, to cry for Sarah and for her house. Illustrating, my friends, that when it comes to a person and what it is that we're mourning, we're mourning something that it says that um, when a tzaddik leaves a place, as the, uh, the Gemara teaches us in the parasha, Vayetze Yaakov, Vayetze Yaakov, Yaakov left, Vayelech Arana. He left this place and he went to a certain, to another place. Says Rashi quoting the Gemara, when a tzaddik leaves a place, Panaziva, Panakivoda, Panahadara. The honor, the beauty of that place, it's changed forever. Some of you will remember when great tzaddikim that we had in the community passed away. Cham Yaakov Kassin. When the Rosh, when the Rosh Kehila, the, uh, the chief rabbi of our community passed away, there was a gaping hole, a chasm. When Cham Baruch passed away, when there's certain great leaders that act maybe perhaps as leaders in an outsized way, sometimes in ways that can never be replaced. When they leave, there's a hole. There's a certain issue that if you wanted to get it solved, uh, back in the day, you'd go to someone, that, that person, who is that person today? I don't know. Who's the person today that is replacing Stanley Chira Alava Shalom? I don't know that there is someone that stepped into those shoes on that level to be able to deal with communal problems 
in that way. You know that if there was a problem between families, you'd want, you know, go straight to this person and, and the guy would have it solved in, in two days, you know? Um, these gaping holes, panaziva, panahadara. So what is so sad for us is that we're now missing that leadership. We're missing what they brought to the table. So Abraham Avinu cries uh, for Sarai, eulogizes her, but also libeta for the home that she had managed to build. But my friends, in the parasha we start with two of the things that are prevalent during the time of a shiva. The first thing is hesped eulogy. The second theme associated with a, uh, a shiva is the crying. What's the third element that is associated with the shiva? Definitely Zambuzak, 100%. You know, they tell the story. Uh, I heard the story once from a, from a woman uh, who actually, <laughs> who makes Zambuzak. She says, Rabbi, I got to tell you a story about Zambuzak. I said, oh, you have a story about Zambuzak, you know? I mean, I like Zambuzak too, but that that should be the central protagonist of a story is a bit much even for the Halabi, right? Anyway, she says, there's this woman, she makes a beautiful plate of, uh, of uh, Sambusak. Unfortunately, Hazit, there's this guy at home. Her husband is really not feeling well. You know, he's uh, minutes to go. You know, Hazit, he has, he's, uh, you know, on his last legs, the family gathers around. At his last minutes, as he walks in, as he's, what's it called? He's uh, sitting on the bed. He smells the, what's it called, the Sambusak with his last strength. He pulls himself from the bed. He says, if I'm going to go out. That's how I want to go out with Sambusak in my mouth, crumbling in the way that Sambusak does. It just hits different. He rolls into the kitchen. As he gets there, he goes to take the Sambusak. His wife, she says, What are you doing? Those are for the arayat, my friends. <laughs> right? So, he's crying about the house that she managed, that she managed to put together. What's missing? Crying, hesped, and comforting. What is the word that we use when you go visit someone who's in mourning? Nichum avelim. Comforting. Where do you find the word comfort with regards to Sarah? Fascinating. You don't. Not in the beginning of the parasha. But if you travel to the end of the parasha, the bookends of the parasha are literally about Chaye Sarah. Because the beginning talks about her burial and dealing with it and giving her that eulogy and crying and missing, etc. But then at the end, when Yitzchak sees Rivka, Yitzchak, Yitzchak brings her into the tent of Sarah. And Rashi says something unbelievable. Rashi says, when he brought her into the tent, and she was Sarah, his mother. What does it mean, the, the, the Gemara explains? There were three miracles that Sarah had in the house. One miracle was that she would light the candles out of Shabbat and they would stay lit from Shabbat until Shabbat. The second miracle was that there was a special blessing, there was a blessing in the dough, that if someone ate even a small amount of Sarah, they were already satiated in full. They didn't need to carb load, okay? And finally, the last thing, is that there was Anan Kashur ala oil. The cloud of God representing the Shekhinah was always there on top of Sarah Imenu's tent. Okay? Unbelievable. Listen to this, my friends. This is gorgeous. It turns out 
This anan kashur ala oel, the tent was, uh, the anan was tied on, the tent was always there. He brings Rivka into the tent, and what happens? All three miracles come back. Vayinachem, and Yitzhak was comforted, ahar, for the loss of Sarah, his mother. That's how the parasha ends. You see over here, that Sarai Menu, she wasn't back. She had not returned. And yet Yitzhak found comfort. How did he find comfort? He found comfort because the house had returned to the way it was, the house that his mother had built. You see, the most important thing about uh, our marriages, about our lives, is to be able to leave a legacy that outlives us in this world. Because no matter how healthy I am, keto, shmido, okay, uh, I'm intermittent fasting, I'm, uh, you know, uh, TB, TB12, whatever I'm doing to stay in shape, you can't be father time. And 120 is the cutoff point. After that, chalas, famous joke. Guy's 120 year old, have a birthday party. He goes, comes to the rabbi, he says, Rabbi, give me a berachai. Guy wants to tell him to live long. But he's 100, he says, have a nice day. You understand? A person, 120, that's it, chalas. You got, that's it, you have no more time. Okay? At a certain stage, you're done. So the question is, what is worthwhile to achieve in this world is to be able to leave a legacy that outlives you. So Sarai Menu, there was no crying. It was very minimal. Why? And for the home that she left afterwards. It's so interesting that we have exactly this word in Eshet Chayil. We say, Lotira lebeta mishaleg, kichol beta lavush shanim. Her home is not afraid of cold, of, uh, of snow, of uh, the elements, of anything. Why? Kichol beta lavush shanim. Because all of her home is dressed with, shanim is dressed warmly. But there's another way to read this. Another way to read this is, They are not worried about elements, about cold, about all these different things. Why? Because she left them shanim. As we said already today or yesterday, She left, she spent years of her life dedicating, building, teaching, imbuing the house with such messages that even after she left, it still maintained the warmth of a mother's touch. It never lost uh, that. So the shanim of Sarai Menu, the 127 years that she put into it, made sure that that home never felt cold, never felt disconnected, never felt, uh, uh, you know, was always warmed by the warmth and the connection and the passion uh, to Am Yisrael. My friends, uh, the Midrash and the Gemara actually also tell us that, she, that, she, that, she, that the, this song, Eshet Chayil, Shilomo HaMelech, who did he write it about? He had a thousand wives and uh, Pilag Shim and all these things, right? How would he write Eshet Chayil about? Two opinions. Both of them got Shilomo HaMelech in trouble. <laughs> One opinion is he wrote Eshet Chayil about the perfect wife, about his mom. <laughs> Right? You imagine that? Right? Okay? Thousand wives, he writes it about his mom. All right? I don't know what that says about each of them. All right? Second opinion is that he wrote it about Sarah Imenu. Lotira Lebeta. How do you read 
ולבקותה, ודעת אחף, ולביתה. That idea that you could build something. My friends, everybody, we all know the names and we all know the people in our community that started the most important organizations uh, that do unbelievable acts of chesed. We remember these, the foundations, and we remember the people. Look at a place that we're sitting in right now. The Edmund J. Safra. Uh, Edmund passed away already almost, what, 20 years ago? Something like that, right? 22 years ago, Haron is correcting me, right? It's a long time. But every single day, his name is mentioned because of the acts of tzedakah that he's done. Because as a foundation, they spent their time, their effort, and their money on making sure that there were shuls, and there were schools, and there were hospitals, and there were all different things in all around the world that bear his name, that carry the name, uh, and, and perpetuate it long after he's passed away. You know, his great, the, 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 the children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren of a person could pass away. And still, they're mentioning the person's name uh, because of a synagogue that he built, because of a mikveh that they built, because of a yeshiva that they started, because of an outreach program that they're funding, whatever it might be. My friends, the job of life and what makes a life so worth living that we don't actually have to cry when it's over um, is if you created something that actually uh, can, can outlive the, the, the time that you have uh, here on earth. May Hashem bless us uh, to be able to always see in our homes the warmth, the touch of the generations gone by. I'll end with this. There was a, a rabbi in Israel, his name was the Belzer Rebbe, okay? Hazit, there was one family, the mother, she passed away when the, she had lots of, uh, lots of kids. Some of them were still even very young. And uh, she passed away uh, a little bit before Pesach. And the rabbi knew how difficult it was. The family, all of a sudden, it was a sudden thing. They were thrown into disarray. And the day Erev Pesach is probably the busiest day of the whole year. Right? Majnun Erev Pesach. Unless you're on a Pesach program, then you're in the pool. But if you're not on a Pesach program, right? It's the craziest day. Who turns up? Who turns up? And for rabbis, it's even more, more crazy. I promise you that. Who turns up knocking at the door? The family opens the door. Who's there? The Rebbe of the whole, uh, the whole town. The Belzer Rebbe. And he walks in. He said, thank you so much for coming, Rabbi. Can we help you? He says, no, no, I just came. I just came to look. And he walks around the kitchen. He looks at the kitchen. He walks around the living room, the dining room. He walks through the bedrooms. And, he, and he's ready to walk, he hasn't said one word. And the family's wondering, what is, he looking, what is he doing? What is he looking for? As he walks out, he says, I just want you to know. He says to the, to the daughters, exactly as the mama would have done it. You did it perfectly. Just like your mother would have prepared for Pesach. All the things are prepared properly. There's no hametz in the house. Everything is covered. Everything is this. And then he walked out. He walked out. What a nechama, what a comfort for these kids to know that the rabbi of the whole town came in and gave his kosher stamp that they had carried on the legacy of their parent, of their mother that they missed so much. My friends, what is the house that you are building? How will it outlive you? Don't try and teach Torah to your children. Teach Torah through your children that it should reach 
generations. That's the greatest beracha in the world when you get to see uh, these things pass. Midor lador. Bezat Hashem, we should be zochet to see nachat for many, many generations. Baruch Adonai Le'olam.